close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 132, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm okay. I'm, I'm just dealing with the ground-shattering news about the world's largest potato not being a potato, but as with anything in life, these challenges are sent to test us, and it's how we deal with them that I think makes us the people we are. And if nothing else, giant radish guy that I sent you prior to recording, he's out there watching over all of us. Folks, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can see this man grew a giant radish in Japan in 2003, I think. And, mm. and uh, Paul and I were, were marveling at this because that's what we do when the microphones are not on. You're welcome for us not turning them on so you have to hear it. <laughs> I went to a, a craft fair last week. At last week, I went to a craft fair last year where one of the uh, stalls was uh, painting self-portraits using vegetables. As in vegetables were mashed into paint, or they sort of did like macaroni paintings using bits of vegetables? You used the vegetables to paint with. Okay. That seems like it's going to smell. Uh, no, it was all right. It was all fresh veg. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, I was quite, uh, quite a dab hand with a leek. They're quite, uh, quite a pliable veg. Made a nice self. You have to do a self portrait, so you could use potatoes and carrots, and you know, bit of broccoli for your hair. Well, not so much for me, but you know, normal <laughs> people, people with hair. To yeah, so yeah. <laughs> do photos exist of this? Is what I want to know. I'm I'm trying to think if I've if we took some. I think we did. Um, so if we do, I'll send you a menu <laughs> if you Fantastic. wish. My self portrait painted by Leek. If we're really lucky, folks, check the show notes for. <laughs> Paul's uh, vegetableist period. <laughs> Picasso's got nothing on me, baby. I myself, I have not been painting pictures with vegetables. Um, <laughs> I'm sad to say. Um, I actually had a really bizarre dream uh, exper slash experience I wanted to tell you about. But before I do, I was going to say the what I have been working on this week is I've started breaking the scripts for our big summer audio adaptations. Hmm. Because, of course, in the summer, we're going to be doing the trilogy of audio adaptations, uh, Transmissions from the Void, and that'll feature stories from horror authors Mike Thorne, Brianna Morgan, and Paul Kane. Paul, of course, being the returning author from 2020's uh, Nightmare on 34th Street. And so I finally started breaking the scripts for those adaptations because it occurred to me, summer's going to come up real fast. And because I'm kind of dumb, have given myself a completely unprecedented amount of work to do with this thing. So <laughs> uh, maybe time to get moving on that. The nice thing is though, now that it's actually moving, I do feel that like the gears are going again. I start, I can kind of start seeing or, you know, slash hearing how it has to be, which is a mm -hmm. relief because it was that kind of thing where I hadn't done it in a long time. And yeah. I thought, oh shit, am I not going to remember how to do this thing? Am I going to be as bad at this as I am at sex? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just a man thing, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I've never asked anyone else about how they either, well, do A or uh, make audio dramas. And I never will. So do not tell me. Yeah. Well, you're very lucky. Unfortunately, in my life, I have friends who are very good at telling me all about some people. I know more about their sex lives than anything I've ever done in my entire life. So 
it's uh, yeah, people like that are quite odd. I've never had friends like that. I've never, perhaps because I've actively discouraged them from telling me, you know, like, nope, I don't care. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they work on the principle that they are the only person in the world that has sex. Uh, like when you're a teenager and you get drunk for the first time and you think, well, you guys, you got to check out this shit called alcohol. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. <laughs> yeah. I remember once, I was once on a bus and there was a young chap trying to impress a young lady on the bus and he said to her, yeah, yeah, I had a crazy weekend. On Saturday, I smoked an ounce of weed and I just turned around and looked at him and went, an ounce in one night? Did you set it on fire? Because <laughs> he didn't look like the kind of person that had smoked an ounce in his life. I would be shocked if he knew what an ounce actually looked like. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Paul, no bullshit, Bastel is on the bus like, no, you fucking didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I see it, I have to call it out, you know? Of course, we're not here to talk about puncturing self-esteem on public transit, although that could be an episode unto itself. We are here to tell scary stories, or spooky stories at least, about owls. And I'm really excited to get to that. We've got a, a pretty cool lineup of stories. But before we do, obviously, we have to thank our patrons. But before we get there, I wanted to tell you about this, this weird-ass dream experience I had. Mm. And it was night before last. I was having a, I would say a positive dream. I don't remember the specifics, but I was with people I liked and we were having fun. Mm -hmm. And then at one point we had to go somewhere through a field or a forest. And I didn't know why we had to walk through this field or forest, but as we started to walk through it, I realized it was covered in spider webs. Mm. And I myself had, I was suddenly wrapped up in, in thick spider web because I'd walked through it and this was. I couldn't really see any spiders, but the web was very thick and I was trying to pull it off myself. And I kind of jerked awake from, from the, the power of the nightmare. But mm. in that moment, as I woke up, I had several seconds, probably about 20 seconds worth of hypnagogic hallucination that there was this fat brown spider crawling away from me across my pillow. And it was so vivid. I really had to stop myself from freaking the shit out because it looked so real. Um, I had to remind myself, this is unlikely. You are in bed. These kinds of spiders do not exist here. But I could see it kind of going away. And if I blinked a little bit, it would go, like it would disappear, but then it would come back. Mm. And it took, yeah, about 15 seconds for my, for my vision to kind of adjust and for that spider to just kind of fade away. But it was intense because I'd never in the dream actually seen a spider. And then to wake up and yeah, it was, it, it, I, I still remember it was like a fat brown, almost like its legs were almost like rope kind mm. of spider, like crawling away from me. Mm. And I, again, just the, the worst, worst thing you can possibly wake up to. And How strange. You're not arachnophobic, are you? Me? Oh, oh deeply. Oh, right. Okay. I've had a re really weird spate of dreams and I had a really distinctive one the other day where we were on a, I was on a train with people that I didn't know and we'd escape from something horrific. I don't know what it was some kind of end of the world scenario. Okay. And um, we'd got to safety in this train station. And then all of a sudden the train started moving before we'd got everybody off. And I, had, and I ran down the train and I got these ladies off the train and got them off. And I, and, I, and I went, oh no, I've forgotten something. And I ran back and as I ran back, the door shut and I couldn't get off and the train just went off. And I didn't know what was happening, but I knew where I was going. I was going to die. And then I woke up and I thought, Jesus oh, that's nice. Christ. <laughs> Holy man. So yeah, that was a bit a bit peculiar. 
I, I know, I know you didn't really dream much until recently, but have you ever had dreams like that before of dying? Uh, not since I was a, a, a child and I had a, a, a dream that lasted two nights where a, uh, killer robot hunted me and my friends down. Holy shit. And I was the last person to, to be killed. It's the only dream I can ever remember in my life that's like, because I, I woke up and then the following night I had a continuation of the dream. I'd, I have no idea why or what caused it or whatever. It's the only occasion in my life that I've had a dream that's repeated itself the following night. What a goddamn nightmare. Yeah, I was hiding under a tree trunk and it, it found me at the end and, and shot me. And then I woke up. <laughs> that's awful. I, I, I got nothing. I got no jokes. That's just terrible. I'm sorry you had that dream. Yeah, that, I think it was about 12 when I had that. It stayed with me all my life. It would. Mm. <laughs> Since we're sharing trauma, I will share with you. My first ever dream that I remember was my father's head on a table with a spider, like a huge, actually like a huge fat brown spider coming out of his mouth, eating his tongue. And I don't know where the fuck that came from. Cause I was like four or five, but man, that shit has stuck with me. Mm. So you and I are brothers in trauma. There's a reason we're on this call. Mm. Mm. Well, that's interesting that uh, your first and last dreams are both bookended by fat brown spiders. Let's not say last dream. I don't like the way oh. that's out. <laughs> your most recent dream. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Paul staging a coup. <laughs> Your last dream. <laughs> All right. Well, that aside, those terribly disturbing images, have you had horrible spider dreams? Let us know. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're always interested in dreams. We're always interested in hearing from you guys generally, but especially dreams. Uh, before we get to the owls, however, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Athena to our Arachne, which is to say, without you, we wouldn't be the same. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Jamie WH and Johannes Siscano. Folks, thank you so, so, so much for being patrons. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. You are what allows the show to continue. If you listen to the end of the show, we'll tell you about all the cool stuff you get. But for now, I will say, if you want an ad-free feed, and who doesn't, ads suck, for a dollar a month, you can head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, and you will get exactly that. The episodes come out at the same time as a regular public drop, but they are free of ads. And this way, the time codes, which point you to the story so you can avoid the chat if you so desire, the time codes will actually make sense, because the ads don't throw the timing out of whack. So, again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. For now, though, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back to prove that the owls are not what they seem. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be talking about stories that center around owls. And the genesis for this was actually an email we got from a listener. And we're going to cover that in a sec. That email doesn't specifically mention owls, but it got me thinking along those lines. And uh, 
Also, Maynardo's story from not last episode, but the episode before that, mm-hmm. he had an owl experience out in the desert. Again, got me thinking. And so I thought we would, we would dive into this because you and I have had many conversations about the nature of owls and, and this kind of thing, um, particularly because of Mike Clellan's work with books like The Messengers. Mm-hmm. And now I, I don't know that I'm necessarily totally a believer in what Cleland is saying. I, th- I think sometimes he maybe uh, draws too many conclusions from insufficient evidence, but I, I do think some of the, th- some of the, st- the stories he's presented are very interesting, particularly mm. the miss- missing time or the owls that appear to be weirdly sized. Well, owls are a strange thing because they're one of those creatures that seems to pop up in cultures across the world, especially in uh, tribal law from, from North America both Native American and First Nation have a lot of stories in regards to owls. And obviously you've got the legends that have come out of Mexico, but there's also a long history in both Greek and Celtic mythology as well in regards to owls. So I always, I'm always interested when you have pan-continental cultural touchstones where obviously these people had no concept of communication with each other and yet they all have similar beliefs in how owls are viewed in the world around them there is something in you like the british culture as well isn't there because i i remember seeing a, a folk horror film called lord of tears at a film festival about uh, almost 10 years ago now but it was a uk film and the, and the villain i don't even have to say villain but sort of the, the paranormal thing hanging over it all was this owl man and for some reason, I thought that had drawn from popular, or not popular, I thought for some reason, I thought that had drawn from uh, folklore, but maybe, maybe not. Pardon the pun. There was a famous cryptid flap in, uh, <laughs> in the Southwest where people were claiming to have seen some kind of giant owl man. Oh, okay. So it's been floating around British Fortean circles for 30 or 40 years, though the evidence for it and the primary research on it uh, do have tenuous grips on the reality of fact, shall we say? Right. Yes. An, an unfortunately common affliction in this line of work. So um, I, I don't put much stock in it, but it's one of those urban myths that's kind of taken on a life of its own. So whether they were trying to create a, a, a British version of, of Mothman in, a, in an area so remote that nobody could be asked to travel there to see if it, any of it was true. I don't know. Because <laughs> if you're going to start something like that, you either do it in Cornwall or the Lake District. Before we get to the stories, as I said, we have some bird-centric email. So this message is from 2020, and this is from our listener, Sam. And Sam, if you're still out there, hello. And if you're not, well, hello anyways. Sam says, this story happened to me when I was in my senior year of high school, and a friend of mine had passed away suddenly. It was a huge shock since at that age, you think you're untouchable. A few months after her death, I had a dream. My friend Kate appeared in a soft white glow and she looked happy. We sat down, we were having a chat, though I don't remember what it was about. We were having breakfast. I often joke that I had ghost brunch with Kate to my friends. Jokes aside, it's comforting to note that wherever she may be, she's happy. Now, to add on to this, a few years later, I met her boyfriend in college and with his permission, he allowed me to share his story. Her death impacted him tremendously as he watched her die, and he had no idea what was wrong or how he could help her. In his own dream, he had been walking down a street when he locked eyes with an owl, and it told him that everything will be okay, and that it was okay to move on. He told me that he felt like that was Kate taking the form of an animal, assuring him that she'll be okay and that he can move on with his life. 
thank you for all that you do in your podcast. Gets me through doing the chores around the house. And Sam, as I said, I hope you're still listening. Thank you very much. And yeah, I mean, that's, we're going to talk a little bit more about the concept of psychopomps with the next email, but you do kind of wonder, is that the bird carrying a message or is that, you know, I, cause I don't necessarily know if I always think this is actually this person in this form. Cause why would they appear as an owl and not as themselves? Well, there's a, there's a thing about this thing with owls that they are either perceived to be some kind of messenger of death from beyond the grave, or they are deemed to be the bringers of wisdom. That story kind of covers both aspects of it, because obviously it's an owl that's being seen in the aftermath of a tragic passing, but also delivering a message of hope. And that's one of the strange things about owls, is that in a lot of cultures, they're seen as, as bringers of wisdom. But unfortunately, in reality, owls aren't very clever. <laughs> but they're not. They're not they, they don't recognize themselves in a mirror. They can't be trained to pull string to get treats. Um, when it comes to bird intelligence, they're quite low on the list. So it is very interesting that a lot of these cultures have this concept that owls are wise. When in reality, when you compare them to say roven, uh, compare them to say ravens or crows or blackbirds, they're they're nowhere near as intelligent or or as uh, as bright as as culture would have us believe in the old days. Which I find a very interesting aspect of all this. That why were owls seen to be wise? You know, you're as wise as an owl, aren't you? I wonder if it's got something to do with the fact that they keep to themselves. You know, like as a guy who, and I'm sure our listeners will find this shocking, who used to be the quiet guy in class. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It was a different time. <laughs> but, you know, everyone thinks you're super smart or you've got something like really wise to say. But I mean, you know, you've been listening to me for five years now. You know, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just wonder if it's, you know, well, the, the owls are quiet. We, we haven't tested their intelligence. They seem really smart. You know, look, that guy's wearing glasses. He's got to be intelligent. <laughs> It's like cats. I mean, I don't think cats are actually all that clever. They're just smart enough to keep their mouth shut. <laughs> not in my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not here either, but generally speaking. <laughs> all right. So the second email I wanted to share was from Fiona. This is a, a much more recent email. And Fiona says, I've been reacquainting myself with a podcast recently. And firstly, I want to say that I think you make a great, very entertaining team. It feels much more grounded in the topics of ghosts and their various mythologies, appearances, and forms. So glad the transition was successful, and I hope the show continues well into the future. Thank you, Fiona. Us too. Thank you. I'm writing today because I thought you might find this interesting. After my own attempts to find any reference to such an entity and failing, maybe Paul has some experience or has heard of such an apparition. In South Australia, we have a small regional town called Burra. It's historically a mining town, heritage listed slash protected, thus a lot of the original houses and buildings are still here. I was there doing some research into ghost stories and walking past an old bluestone house with a beautifully kept garden. The owners were on site, so I commented on the garden and planned on continuing through to the cemetery. However, and this is one of those experiences that I've come to learn is a bit of a burra thing, I was invited to look inside the house as they were doing it up. They wanted feedback on whether I choose to stay there and how much they should charge. I love that. That's mm. fantastic. It was a beautiful restoration and frankly well out of my budget for future stays. They asked what I was doing in town and I made a vague reference to researching ghosts and ghost stories. This was a very conservative, mature, aged couple. They went very quiet, looked at each other a moment before the man spoke. I have to tell you, he said, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I really don't. You know where this is going. 
But one night I was staying here on my own and I heard a noise in the hallway. I thought some bugger had broken in or maybe a possum, but I stepped out into the hallway right here and standing there at the end near the kitchen was this tall cloaked figure like a nun and it had this flock of birds flying around it, like up around the head, he gestured with his hands. The wife was shuddering and shaking her head. She won't stay here on her own, neither will her brother. The man continued, I confess I let loose some foul language. I won't repeat it. I told it to get out, get out. I'm thinking to myself, it's always the non-believers who see this fantastic stuff. He then goes on to say, I just don't believe in this stuff. Haven't seen it since. But we did some research and this used to be a temporary maternity hospital run by nuns, so maybe there's something in that. Fiona finishes by saying, hilariously, at the end of the story, he tried to sell me on the idea of staying there for my next trip. (laughs) (laughs) She says, I was already having sleepless nights because of activity in the old cottage I was staying in. That's the story for another time. So, a tall, dark figure, apparently they couldn't make out the face, but he thought none, that was his impression, with a flock of small, dark birds flying around mostly its head. Have you ever heard of such an entity? No, I've never heard of anything in the annals of paranormal encounters that resembles anything similar to this. And I was quite surprised because Borough is a very notoriously haunted town in Australia. Oh, interesting. So it, it, it fits. It's just, it's completely, it, well, say it fits within the larger theme, but there's no analog for what she's seen or what he saw. Yeah. Borough is one of those towns that has embraced its, its history and its past quite openly. And um, they do okay. a lot of tours there and you can do a, a, a ghost tour. But it's more well known for its haunted mine than anything else. You're supposed to be able to hear the ghosts of, of departed miners and people that died in tragic accidents. And, and strangely, as we were mentioning Cornwall earlier, knockers and bogarts oh, and things course. down the mine more than anything else. So, and I'd, I'd checked a few things after, after seeing the email and I've seen, read a few books and looked into some European folklore, uh, paranormal history and things and, and can't seem to find anything in, in sort of ghosts. There are obviously imagery of creatures from folklore that are often accompanied by birds, but certainly not in a, in a real life sort of paranormal sense. And now, if I'm not mistaken, small black birds, that could be like, like sparrows. And are sparrows not, we were talking about psychopomps earlier. Sparrows are considered to be psychopomps, are they not? They are one of them. Obviously, Stephen King famously used sparrows in, is it the dark half? Yes, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For our audience who doesn't know, can you explain the concept behind psychopomps? They are classed as creatures or deities that are seen to be harbingers or guides to the spirit world or to announce the oncoming of death. They're one of those things, when you say the term psychopomps, most people go, what, what, what are you talking about? But then when you say the Grim Reaper is a psychopomp, people go, ah, right, I know what you're talking about now. And, and obviously, you've got some very famous examples throughout mythology. Uh, I mean, obviously, one of my favorites is um, Anubis, obviously, from Egypt. Sure. Is, is the classic, uh, the infamous Sharon, who uh, is the boatman. Yeah, I was just about to ask if that would if if they would be considered a psychopomp as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, ironically, Hermes, which in Britain is also a parcel company, and if Hermes have it, your parcel's probably gone to die somewhere because it's not coming to your house. <laughs> um, so uh, that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, Mercury in Roman mythology as well. So most ancient cultures have a archetypal psychopomp who is their their 
their guide to takers regardless because they never judge you they just they just turn up good or bad right, right. they they're here to take you to where you need to go to so the the presence of birds around that thing it's it's fascinating because it's it's almost like they were conducting it there mm. but it seems like such a like, if, there's no apparent reason behind it yeah because usually you wouldn't get a psychopomp and an animal it's usually one or the other okay so you would, you know, like we've been talking about owls, you things like deers, ravens, crows, black dogs. I mean, obviously the black shuck is sometimes seen as a as a psychopomp to, to some because often people say, well, they saw the black shuck and then three days later they died. But they're not usually seen in conjunction with another spirit or or a, or a human entity, as it were. They're usually individual incidents. Yeah, that is really interesting. Fiona, thank you so much for for bringing that to our attention. That is, as, a, as Paul says, I've never heard anything quite like that. And so that, that is definitely one of those stories that I think is going to stay with me as, yeah. uh, you know, sort of going forward. Yeah. He needs to work on his advertising because I don't think that's going to draw him in on Airbnb. <laughs> well, it might. Some people pay extra for murder houses. Why not for uh, spirit bird lady? <laughs> the Borough Bird Broad. <laughs> Free nappies with every booking. <laughs> So Fiona, yeah, thank you. Thank you again. If you ever hear any more about that, please let us know. And if anyone out there, if you've heard about anything similar, sort of entities coming back, seemingly accompanied by birds, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. I will read it out on the next show. Very curious to hear if there's anything like that out there. Mm. But now on with the stories. The fear last night. Throughout the last year or so, through most of quarantine, my friend Cindy and her boy Nathan have been staying with me. She's coming from a bad situation with her husband, so I've tried to provide an environment as tranquil as possible. One of the things we like to do is go outside and look at the night sky. Out here in rural Iowa, there's a lot of sky to see, and almost every night there's something to talk about, and I don't mean birds. If you watch the sky long enough, you see lights that don't make any sense. But nothing out here has ever frightened me. Until last night, that is. Last night, I felt afraid. It had been a difficult night to begin with. Nathan had a nosebleed and wouldn't go to bed, so it was 10pm before Cindy was able to finally get him down. Once we knew for sure he was asleep, we went out into the backyard to look up at the canopy of stars. Something wasn't right, though. Something felt off. It was almost like the sky was too clear. That's when the lights appeared in the distance. Cindy and I stood there, pointing them out and talking about them for a little while until Nathan woke, crying, and we went back inside. She got him to bed and we sat in the kitchen scrolling through social media, but the lights we'd seen kept repeating in my mind, and when we were certain that Nathan was going to stay in bed, we went back outside. Whereas before it had been clear, now the skies were filled with clouds, but of a curious kind. Everything about their shape color and density felt surreal to me. I tried explaining my unease to Cindy, but she didn't quite grasp it. She heard me, but I don't think she understood. Little flashes of light kept appearing in the corners of my eye, but the only lights in the sky were the odd star peeking intermittently through the weird cloud cover. Walking out to the front yard, we could see that the moon was visible, dimly, its light shining behind the clouds. We sat on the back of Cindy's car and watched the skies. 
Maybe 10 minutes later, we became aware of lights much closer to the ground, down the dead-end street to our left. When I say closer to the ground, I mean these look like a swarm of large fireflies. It's hard to describe exactly what they look like, uh, if not fireflies, then maybe like a loose wire flailing around and sparking inconsistently. They'd go dark for several minutes, and we'd think they'd gone, but then they'd start up again. The two of us kept trying to come up with plausible explanations for what we were seeing, but none of them really fit, not in a way we could relax into, and Cindy started to share my discomfort. The odd cloudy sky still stretched above us, filling our entire field of vision. At some point, I noticed there was no noise. No wind, birds, cars, nothing. It was like everyone, and I mean everyone, in the neighborhood was asleep. We looked toward where we had seen the light sparking before, and that's when I saw it. At first, I thought it was a bat, a very large bat. My jaw dropped, and I pointed it out to Cindy. As it drew closer, we could tell it wasn't a bat, but a large bird, flying with purpose. It finally alighted on top of the power pole directly across the street from my house. In the cloud-shielded moonlight, we could see the outline of the thing, but not which way it was facing, or what kind of bird it was. It didn't move, neither did we. It was watching us. Even though I couldn't see which way it was looking, I knew that much. Periodically, I'd look away back down the street where it had come from, and I could see that the sparking lights had returned. Then I'd look back at the bird, and it would still be there, shadowed and impassive. Cindy and I sat in silence for long minutes, watching this bird watch us, like we'd somehow drifted into a strange kind of waking dream. I knew my friend was scared. I was scared. When I suggested we go inside, Cindy agreed immediately, and as soon as she did, the bird opened its wings and took off, flying directly over us, away from the lights. That's when I saw what it was. It was an owl, and something about it made me glad we had never seen its face. It's like it was watching us watch it. This afternoon, I tried talking to Cindy about what had happened, but she brushed it off. I know she was scared last night, just as much, if not more, than I was. I don't even really want to go outside and look at the sky anymore, just in case it happens again. I know none of this may sound very scary to you, but there was something about that experience that has shaken both of us deeply. Cindy may be trying to forget, but I don't want to. I actually want to do a whole story, uh, pardon me, a whole episode on Iowa sometime. Mm. That's definitely in the cards because I've heard a lot of weird shit from the state of Iowa. But uh, what do you think of that one? I mean, often when you meet animals in unusual circumstances because it's not just the sighting that seems to be strange it's as if they're in a void and there's just those two and the bird and nothing oh, else yeah. is happening there was very much like an oz factor oz effect happening there yes definitely very true as though they've pierced the veil into us into another world or something it, it kind of reminds me actually there was a time when i was a kid and i, I don't necessarily think this was piercing the veil but there, it was the only time in my life I've ever been in that kind of place where everything is quiet. Mm. And I was, it was back when I was playing baseball as a kid. We were down playing at the ball fields by the river, and I don't remember what was happening in the sky, but I remember that the air around us had this strange yellow color, and it was quiet. Everything was really quiet. And I remember mm. one of the parents spoke up, because uh, one, one, one of the kids 
uh, his family was from the American uh, Midwest. He was, his dad was a preacher, Harvey. And so one of the folks yelled out, Hey, Harvey, this, uh, you know, should we, should we be worried about, um, you know, making good on our sins or making a end of the world joke. And, uh, Harvey, he was, he was a good guy. Uh, he, he sort of laughed and he said, well, he said, I don't know about your sins, but he said back home, weather like this, we'd be heading down to the cellar because it meant a tornado was coming. But of course, Revelstoke does not have tornadoes, but it was this strange loaded sensation of, I don't know, expectation or something is coming, but it was the, one of the weirdest weather phenomenon I've ever, I've ever kind of observed, but it was mm. this, this strange yellowing of the air. It's hard to explain, mm. but it, it reminded me of, of the description of that night. Strange things are afoot in Iowa. La Lechuza. When I was in the second grade, my family relocated from the piney woods of East Texas to the flat desert-like Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. I'm the youngest of three kids, and we all went through a little bit of culture shock with the move. There were hardly any trees around, mostly just palm trees and shrubs, with a cactus dotted here and there. For animals, there were jackrabbits, rattlesnakes, and armadillos. School was a bit of a change too, because once we started, we learned that people in our neighbourhood were superstitious, to say the least. As a kid, I was one of those happy-go-lucky types who made friends with all the neighbourhood kids. So once we got settled, that's exactly what I did. I even became best friends with a girl who lived directly behind us. Her family were the most superstitious I'd ever met. She was the oldest of four girls, and their mother wouldn't let them watch Harry Potter because it was associated with witchcraft. They went to church three times a week and didn't even celebrate Halloween. All that said, their mum loved to tell ghost stories and tales from Mexican folk tales. It was the one cool thing about her and the thing I loved most about visiting their home. One night, she told us the story of La Mujer Lechuza. As I understand it, La Lechuza is a witch or a bruja that can turn into an owl usually a large owl, but sometimes a small one, with a woman's head. If you see a lechuza, the girl's mother told us, you had to pray for your life in Spanish, and it will leave you alone. She also told us they've been known to make a whistling sound, like a human whistling. If you answer it back with a whistle of your own, the lechuza will swoop down and carry you away. If you wake up in the morning and see large scratches on your doors and windowsills, it means the lechuza was there and it's coming back for you, so you must prepare yourself accordingly. I can't whistle, and my friend's mum knew this, so she would jokingly tell me I wouldn't have anything to worry about. She would also lovingly tell us my friend and I are gorditas, so we couldn't be carried away as easily. After years of hearing this story in various ways from teachers, other friends, parents and in books, it was about as stuck in my head as any old wives' tale. I would get excited hearing about it around Halloween at school, but it was just another scary story that would give us kids an adrenaline rush. I never thought I'd experience anything like it in real life. It happened in the summer of fifth grade, when my best friend and I were on her trampoline. It was summer, so we were up kinda late, maybe around 10pm, and it was a full moon. We spent time talking and looking at the stars until we heard whistling. We knew not to whistle back. Instead, we lay there, frozen, still looking at the sky and listening intently to the whistling in the distance. I looked at my friend, and she was stock still, praying in Spanish and squeezing my hand as tightly as possible. A few minutes went by, 
and we heard more whistling, closer this time. My friend stopped praying and said we should get inside, which sounded like a great idea to me, so we started inching towards the edge of the trampoline to escape. At that moment, I heard it, and I'll never forget the bone-rattling sound and twisted image that scarred me for life. We felt the wind from its wings, and so it may be fifteen feet above our heads. A huge, snowy white owl, maybe twelve feet wide from wingtip to wingtip, floating right above us. Its eyes were jet black, and it mostly looked like an owl, except for its feet. They were huge and human, with long black talons. It locked eyes with me and let out a screech. My heart jumped up into my throat, and I had never run inside a place so fast. We cried together, praying, rosaries in hand, as we heard it continue to flap around outside. We continued to hold each other until all of a sudden it was gone. To this day, we're both terrified of owls. We don't even look at them in books. Every time I see one, I think of the face of the Lechuza, almost human and almost owl. A strange demonic hybrid, not of this world. Believe the tales, don't go outside alone and never respond to strange whistling. Something might just snatch you up and carry you far, far away. The first thing I got to say is, I, I don't know if you had this as a kid, but you would, I, I was suddenly just brought back to that feeling of going to someone's house and realizing they have completely different rules <laughs> than your house. Mm. You know, I, I used to go to my friend Oliver's place and his parents were lovely people. Don't get me wrong, but you had like a set amount of TV time in a day. Mm. So like the second the TV goes on, the timer goes on and you get like 30 minutes of TV time. And that was. That was like the far side of the moon to me, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I mean, the TV was just a constant presence in our home. And I remember thinking, what is happening here? Or they'd ask if you want a snack and it was always a healthy snack. They would be like, oh, we're gonna have a healthy snack. Oh, at home we have pizza pops. So I, I don't know what this healthy <laughs> snack shit is you're talking about. <laughs> Where's the monster munch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I don't have a bag of chips stat, I'm going to die. It is interesting because I was recently listening to to one of Art Bell's shows. And there was a woman who claimed to have had an encounter with La Lechuza. Oh, really? Which is quite interesting, because I think it was from like 97, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and they'd basically gone somewhere where it was supposed to hang around. But I, I don't remember them describing any whistling. They just remembered hearing the flapping. And then the next thing they saw was this owl parallel in their car as they were trying to speed away. And as they looked, it had a woman's head. And they all screamed. Interesting. The owl screamed back, and then it just f flew off. And they drove at 100 miles an hour all the way home. So it's, it, it, it's a very interesting aspect of Mexican folklore, because it's quite a unique creature in the pantheon of, of paranormal entities, I think, La Lechuza. Yeah, again, I, I have this thing in my head. I'm certain there is an owl man somewhere else in literature. I'm certain that movie I was talking about. I'm certain that that was drawing from somewhere. But, but yeah, it's it's if if it does exist, it's not commonly known. I'm always fascinated with this idea of metamorphosis. You know, mm. we talk a lot about doppelgangers on the show, and obviously that and mimics, and I find mimics and doppelgangers very unsettling. Mm. But the idea that something can met. Uh, can change its shape, can, can metamorphize, metamorph, met, metamorpho, I don't know, can change its shape, but it can do that. <laughs> yes. Is, I don't know, there's, it, it's both 
fascinating and chilling because mm. you, then, then there's nothing to rely on in terms of what you're looking at. And in fact, we actually have a story coming up of someone witnessing a very dramatic transformation, which it defies all logic. I mean, you can say that, okay, this one they imagined, you know, the few, a few of the stories we've got tonight, if, if someone was going to be real skeptical, they could say, well, you know, they were primed to expect this. They were primed. They've been talking about La Lechuza, So they were expecting this. They knew what to look for. But there's a story coming up that that doesn't fit whatsoever and mm-hmm. blows that theory right out of the water. Mm. Um, but something I didn't know before starting this episode was I actually thought owls had bigger wingspans than they do mm. because I looked and the largest wingspan on an owl is the fish owl at six and a half feet, which is big. Like that's, that's a lot of owl, but at the same time, it's not 15 feet or 12 feet. Hmm. I'm just thinking, I thought the harpy owl was, um, enormous. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's have a look. This is Owl Talk with Brennan Paul. <laughs> it's a hoot. Boo. Hey. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Six foot, the, the Blackiston fish owl, Bubo Blackistoni. Yeah. Is the biggest owl, which is odd because often when people talk about large owls, they will always mention, is it the harpy, e- harpy eagle owl? Yeah, the harpy eagle. Yeah. Um, which is one of those things as well, because owls are always put forward as a potential explanation to Mothman. Okay. And yet, if we are to believe the witnesses, and there are numerous witnesses at the original incident, you know, I um, wouldn't put a lot of credence in more modern reports, shall we say? Yes. Um, but <laughs> um, the original series of events that occurred back in, you know, 66, 67. You know, they were talking about a creature with an enormous wingspan, which can't yeah. possibly be an owl, as you say, because I think often we get this misperception through the internet of certain animals being far larger than they actually are. Yeah, very much so. Because like I said, when I saw, what do they say? This one had a 12 feet wingspan. I, again, I'm, you know, I'm first shit with spatial thinking, but I thought, okay, well, 12 feet, I mean, how big can, and, and that's, yeah, that's double. So that just, that's not a thing. Like there are freak size animals, but you know, there are multiple accounts as you'll hear on the show folks, where we're talking things with like 15 feet wingspans, 16 foot wingspans. In one case, these people, it appears over a, a fence post that was just put in. So they actually know how far apart the posts were. Well, then again, seeing enough reports of people claiming to have seen pterodons flying in the sky. So why wouldn't there be freak owls out there. I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but you know, I've got to try and you've got to play devil's advocate sometimes with, with situations like that. And obviously people will always say like when people are talking about seeing giant eagles, which is another big thing, thunderbirds and things that are apparently spotted all over the U S and Canada, Texas, especially is a prime site for, uh, there have been numerous people claim to have seen flying dinosaurs in Texas and Arizona and, and, along the South States, New Mexico and places like that. So, you know, when you live in remote areas of the world where a lot of people aren't, I'm always open to the possibility that there's something hiding out there. Oh, sure. Very possible. And that could just be what we're talking about here. Although the the human feet, I I think maybe puts the light of that one. Mm. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. We can talk about wingspans all day, but if it's got a pair of feet with talons on it, then that ain't no owl. (laughs) Oh, that's a t-shirt. That ain't no owl. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. It's one for Brett Manning, I think, that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Brett, that's follow, all yours. Follow up to Slowly Consumed by Moss. <laughs> I gotta get me one of those. La Lechuza Returns. My entire life has been lived in the Rio Grande Valley. When I was a kid, my grandma told me stories of her encounters with La Lechuza, and though I was usually skeptical of mystical tales, I believed my grandmother, and by extension, her stories. Still, it wasn't until I had my own experience that I was fully invested. Some time ago, I was out at a friend's ranch north of Rio Grande City with some mutual friends and their dad. We were putting up fence posts and barbed wire so we could corral some stray cattle that had watered onto the property and keep them until we found the owner. The sun was starting to get low in the sky, so we decided to call it a day. We built a bonfire close by and huddled up in an unfinished ranch hand's house, basically a concrete slab surrounded by four walls and no roof. We were drinking and shooting the breeze, and eventually we got to stories about the paranormal. My buddy's a huge skeptic, mostly because he's afraid, so he kept trying to steer the conversation away from ghost stories and such, but I decided to share a Lechuza story my grandmother had told me. Once I got to describing the creature, there was an ungodly, almost ear-piercing screech. We turned to look in the direction of the sound, but before my eyes could adjust to the darkness, my buddy screamed and hauled ass to the main ranch house. I turned back to the darkness to see a giant silhouette of an owl perched on one of the posts we had driven earlier in the day. It was massive. So, naturally, I did one of the two things they tell you not to ever do. I whistled at it. This thing screeched again and spread out its wings. Its wingspan had to easily have been 14 feet, measuring by the distance between the fence posts. Scared shitless, I too decided to run. As the ranch house's back door came into view, I saw my buddy run in and shut the door behind him. My cousin and our friend got their moments too late and were kicking and pounding on the door, nearly in tears. About halfway there, I looked back towards the unfinished house and saw the gigantic bird now perched up on one of its walls, its face catching the moonlight. About halfway there, I looked back toward the unfinished house and saw the gigantic bird now perched up on one of its walls. Its face was catching the moonlight as it cocked its head sideways. And in that instant, as its face was being lit up, I swear I could make out human-like features. At length, I reached the ranch house and rushed in closing the door behind me. My buddy's dad demanded to know what the hell was going on, and I, breathless, tried to explain. Eventually, the others joined in, adding their point of view as well. We tried to convince ourselves it had just been a regular owl, and we were looking out the back door to try and see it again to prove our suspicions correct, all while my friend's dad was chuckling and calling us rude names. We slowly crept out the door, scanning the horizon at length, finding no bird, large or otherwise. We decided to go back outside to snuff out the fire, armed of course with flashlights, a baseball bat, a kitchen knife, and a shotgun, in case things got real ugly. feel like you probably could have saved yourself the trouble of bringing the other stuff if you had the shotgun. When we got back to the bonfire, we fanned out to investigate the surrounding areas, and my buddy's dad broke off from the group to check out the fence posts. When he didn't come back right away, we wandered over to him to find him uncharacteristically quiet, staring at one of those posts. We hadn't told him which post the owl had perched on, but he'd gone right to it. What had him so transfixed, we wanted to know, and we didn't see it until we were right up close, and the sight still haunts me, because it raises so many questions for which I have no answer. There, on the fence post where the Lechuza had perched, were deep, 
deep claw marks. Paul, this is why I don't go outside. <laughs> I will say some of these stories, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of priming happening. You know, I mean, it, I tend to think if you're telling ghost stories and something spooky happens, odds are you're probably just misinterpreting mundane phenomenon because you're in that kind of heightened state. But I don't know if these guys are reasonably grown men. I feel like the story's got to be pretty great story to get them so primed that all of them thought something was wrong. You know? Mm. I mean, misperception can, can occur. And obviously the thing about owls is sometimes they have markings on their faces, which can sometimes catch the light in a specific way. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe, you know, you can say that about a lot of things. You know, I remember my cousin being terrified by a duffel coat that he thought was Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, and as, as an older child, I thought it was ridiculous until I peeped around the corner and saw it and I too shit my pants. <laughs> Uh, and bravely must have some coat well it was it was an old duffel coat so it was hung and it had fallen over the banister so it was looking like a, it basically looked like a, a ghostly head just staring oh, at you down the step from the top of the stairs and then i bravely dove in turned the light on and that's when we realized it was a duffel coat that had just fallen just so that the hood was perpendicularly hanging over the banister at the top of the stairs Oh, but when you turn the light on, it looked like a monk or something. It looked like a faceless entity staring down at us, which I suppose when you're a seven-year-old kid around Halloween, that would terrify you. It's going to be the first thing you think of is like, well, this is it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's come from the Death Star to South Yorkshire. <laughs> that doesn't seem like that far a distance based on some of the things you've told me. No, no, it's not, not that far, really. When this episode airs, I will be two days short of my 39th birthday. So I'm, a, I'm currently a 38-year-old man, and I cannot tell you how often I will walk past the bedroom when Nick is asleep and I'm finished work for the night, mm. and I've got my phone flashlight on. And because my arm is swinging, it casts the shadow of the clothes rack just inside the door and casts it on the far wall of the bedroom, making it look like a cloaked person. Mm. I cannot tell you how many times I have done this, and mm. every time it scares me. Every <laughs> single goddamn time. Well, especially at night when it's dark and you're not, you've not got the full light on it, it can be quite frightening. I woke up halfway through the night the other week and was just lay there sort of half, half asleep, only for Julie to walk straight in front of me, which absolutely shit me up because I thought she was in bed. Jesus. And for a, a momentarily second, I just went, oh, who's in bed with me? But it wasn't. There was nobody in bed. But she'd, she'd, gone to the, she'd gone to the bathroom in the night, but I presumed because I'd just woken up in the middle of the night, she would be in bed. And then all of a sudden, I just see a figure walking through the dark. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Good job she wasn't in the bed at the time. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, one other thing before we, before we move on, the whistling thing, I was digging through, I was digging around through um, sites like places like Reddit and stuff, and I actually found another mention of whistling. So I just thought I'd, I'd share that one here really huh. quick. So this, this is a story I found. This first happened when I was about 11. I was getting a glass of water in the middle of the night when I stopped in the hallway because I heard a distinct whistling sound coming from our living room, which was to the left of my bedroom. The whistling was a tune, like somebody was humming to themselves. It was just my mom and I in the house, and I knew she was asleep. I was too afraid to turn on the lights, so I just ran back into my room. About five years later, we moved into a new house, and my family was on vacation, so it was just my dog and I. At about 4 a.m., I heard from our basement the same whistling and instantly froze because I recognized the tune. I'm a night owl, so being awake at four is not unusual. 
And then tonight at 4 a.m., I heard whistling coming from our living room again. So I went, checked, and everyone was fast asleep. So either there's a Jethro Tull fan out there in the ether or something strange <laughs> is whistling at this guy. Whistling is seen as, as, as quite menacing though as well, isn't it? In some circumstances. I remember obviously the, it's often used in cinema and entertainment as a sign of instilling fear in people, isn't it? I wonder if it ties back to that folklore thing, you know, this idea that if you hear a voice calling your name at night, you don't respond. Mm. You know, things yeah. like this. Mm. It's always interested me because obviously it's a key part of the of the wonderful the third man. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. When he's got the whistling going on and you can't quite see it, which makes me think that as a child I used to love a program called Battle of the Planets, uh, which was a Japanese cartoon which was known as various things around the world. And in the final episode where they finally defeat the baddie who I think was called Zoltan. Sure. One of the heroes was wandering around his spaceship, just whistling on on on. Can't even talk. Whistling ominously, and he could never quite see where he was. He could just hear the whistling, and he knew that the end was nigh. And I often Yikes. think, had they seen the third man and then repackaged it into a, into an intergalactic kids entertainment show? Because it was a bit a bit of a strange show. So I'm not sure if it was a big hit in Canada, but it was something I used to love as a child. No, I've, I've never heard of it. I wonder though, I know Luke has done a bunch of episodes of Luke lore on different yokai mm. in Japan. And I, I have to wonder if there are whistling yokai. That's maybe something to throw Luke's way. He'd probably know. Check the, uh, check the show notes for the list of, uh, for the <laughs> list of shows and movies that we talk about on this episode. <laughs> it waits. A few hours ago, my boyfriend, Chris and I were out at the fire pit building a bonfire. We live in the country with neighbours close, but not close enough to complain about a late night fire. It was dark, obviously, and silent, apart from the screeching of an owl. At some point, while we were just sitting there, we both heard a loud meow from a grove about twenty metres from us. It sounded like the cry of a cat in serious pain. My first thought was that something had happened to our cat, so we called her and heard two more cries from the same place. We got up, turned on our phone lights and went to find her. I briefly saw a flash of white fur escaping, and Chris said he'd seen a fox. I heard it running away directly in front of us, but then we heard the cry of a cat again to our right, and followed it as fast as we could. We were thinking that the fox must have injured our cat. A part of me knew that what was going on wasn't normal, and I began to become filled with an irrational fear of going forward. At the same time, I didn't want to risk our cat being killed because we didn't try to save her. Now the weirdest part is that we kept calling the cat every two or three seconds, and got a response each time, but seemingly from a different location. One time it was really close, then next it was on the other side of a small river that flows by. The next moment it came from near the fireplace again, and each time we could never get close enough to see anything. To give an idea of the speed the creature must have travelled, the distances between each location were from around 30 metres up to 200. That's a lot of ground to cover in just a few seconds. Eventually, I stopped hearing the sound, but Chris, who had gone a bit deeper into the grove, heard the sounds go further and further away, towards a large forest. The only thing we still heard was footsteps which we assumed was the fox still lurking around. 
When we had given up, we went back to the fireplace, and our cat was sitting there next to the fire, grooming herself like nothing had happened. I have two, now three cats myself, and have heard them make some terrible sounds when in distress, but what I heard tonight beat them all. The only logical thing that could move around in circles so fast and silently would be a bird, but it couldn't have been that, because I'm fairly familiar with local nature, especially with birds. What did we hear out there? And that's, I mean, we were talking about mimics. That's a great example of mm. that whole, you know, making a sound that's familiar to try and lure you out of the, uh, like sort of out of the, the, the safety of the fire and off into the woods. Mm. Not a chance. Although the cat is something that would get me. Like if I heard my cat moaning from the trees, well, all right, fine. I guess I'm getting kidnapped because I can't take the chance that it's out there actually hurting. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's very interesting. You've got a few sort of situations there going on that you've got this sound that seems to be rotating around you and moving in incredibly fast speeds that you can't sort of get your head around. Well, how's it behind me now when it was, hang on, it was over there a minute ago and now it's over there and where's it going and what's happening here? But then also the fact that Chris keeps being drawn further and further into the woods towards the forest, away from it, the, the sanctity of the fire. Yeah. And if you, if you learn anything from this show, it's don't go in the forest. Just, <laughs> just don't follow the sounds. <laughs> also this. Yeah. I'd never do that. No, do not do that. I was thinking this kind of reminds me a little bit of that story we did. Oh, it was a while ago now, but it was, I want to say it was from Loch Lomond in Scotland. And remember the, the guy had, they were, they were hiking at night and they heard breathing mm. and it seemed like the breathing was following them down the hill. And then it was over on the other side of the river, but they'd never actually seen anything cross the river. Mm. And then it was back next to them and it was just crossing these spaces within these, you know, improbable amounts of time. Mm. And I mean, I just feel like at that point, you kind of have to divest yourself from the likelihood that it's a, something physical. And there's something much more upsetting going on. Very much so. There are, there's almost a trickster element to it, isn't there? Oh yeah, yeah, very, very, very much so. And I was, I was thinking about that, you know, because obviously you and I were discussing off air. You recently had uh, Zelia Edgar on Mysteries and Monsters, mm. and you guys were talking about John Keel. And obviously, mm. Keel by the end of his career, and for those of our, our listeners who don't know, John Keel was a, I think, a, a fairly interesting Fortean researcher. But even by the end of his career, he became convinced that the trickster phenomenon was all there was. And I don't know that I necessarily believe that, but I think it's, it's hard to get away from that, from the, from that part of it, you know, from this, this idea that there just seems to be something out there that wants to play with us and toy with us and kind of pull the wool over our eyes. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a dangerous path to tread when you begin to think that everything is linked because I would find that incredibly obsessive. Where do you stop? Where do you draw the line? Where does it end? Yeah, that's it. You know, and, and I always think about that story. One of the many stories that kind of pissed Keel off is he got the phone call, you know, be up on this hill at such and such a time. And, you know, he stood up there all night ruining his shoes and absolutely nothing happened. <laughs> and it, it seems like there's, there's some kind of break built in. If you start looking at this stuff too close, too deeply without kind of keeping one foot on the ground, it almost seems like there's something that is just waiting for you to overcommit so it can start, I don't know if tormenting you is the right word, but start playing with your perception and challenging your basic assumptions about how all these things work. Well, I think that's often the difficulty is that you try and frame it in a reality 
that often when you look at certain phenomenon, it doesn't play by those rules. In a way, that's the challenge of, of the Fortean, right? Is that everyone wants hard, they want hard rules, you know, they want hard facts. And that's something that I just don't think exists. I, I know there are going to be psychics who say, oh, this is, it always works like this and it's always like this, you know, because I mean, there's people out there who got a living to make and fine, but I just don't think it works like that. And I think the more you try and cram things into a single box that way, it just, it, it, that's when it starts to push back and kind of expose you for, no, I won't say what you are, but for the fact that you are, you're starting to get out over in front of your feet. And it's almost like there's a built in something that, that I don't know, forces you to stumble or to, um, have to rethink all your assumptions. Yeah. The one thing I've learned in all my years of having a deep interest in a variety of topics is that it isn't a one size fits all and no explanation explains everything. Yeah, that's it. And it, like, that's hard, right? Because we were hardwired to want answers, but the number of times I've had people get in touch and say, oh, well, you know, as they're sharing a story and they'll say, well, because as you know, you know, knocking three times means they're mocking the Trinity and I die a little inside and I have to explain that, no, that's doesn't, that's nothing. That's just a thing that people on TV shows have come up with because it sounds dramatic but they so badly want that to be true because then they can, they've got like a single solid data point that they can expand from. And that's one of the challenging things about this topic is there is no, there's no fixed point. There are very few fixed points. There are common phenomena, but nothing that can sort of hang our hat on and say, well, this we know for sure. It's as relevant as saying ghosts like cheese. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that we know for sure. That's, that's, you can hang your hat on that. Mm, Gorgonzola. Who doesn't like Gorgonzola? Mm. Oh, I miss cheese. Leviathan. When I was seven years old, we were living in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. At the time, both my parents worked in the mornings and I had just finished school, leaving me home alone. This wasn't a big deal as I was the kind of kid who was mature for his age. I could make myself sandwiches for lunch and I knew enough not to burn the house down. It was while I was making one of those sandwiches that I saw something through the kitchen window. Something that shouldn't have been there. Something huge. The creature was sitting about 15 feet up in the tree and had to be about the size of a smart car. In both shape and posture, it resembled a gargoyle. You know how they're depicted as sitting hunched over with their back legs wider and their front legs, their arms or whatever, closer together or touching? It was like that, but minus the wings. No skin was visible. Instead, the creature had short, bear-like fur mixed with owl-like feathers. The head was also massive and shaped like that of a bear, but possibly with a large beak. The thing's face is where my memory breaks down because at that time I was so fixated on its eyes. They were huge eyes the size of basketballs. And the final stroke of strangeness, those big eyes were blurry, like a droopy oil painting. It was an early summer morning, early enough to still be cool, but late enough to be clearly lit. I saw the creature out the kitchen window, then ran to the front porch to get a better look. As intrigued as I was, I wasn't about to go right up to the beast, so instead I went to go grab my father's binoculars. When I got back to the front porch, the creature was gone, nowhere to be seen. So I, being a brave seven-year-old boy, went out to inspect the area where it had been. Upon arrival, I saw no sign it had ever been there. No broken branches, no markings, no nothing. The one anomalous thing I remember about that area at that time was the complete and total silence 
in a forest normally bursting with noise. And I feel like that's that in the whistling. It's just another one of these things that is connecting all these stories, the sort of Oz effect where everything just goes quiet. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, if I saw a smart car sized, whatever the fuck in my tree, I would be learning the virtues of underground living very quickly. <laughs> another reason for you to stay in. Got a 4K television. Why the fuck do I need outside? <laughs> I've, have you ever heard of anything like that? Like a, a literally like a, a, an owl gargoyle the size of a car? No, no, I haven't actually. I mean, obviously people see strange creatures of, of a variety of shapes and sizes, but nothing that kind of seems like an amalgamation of an owl and something else. The combination of bear and owl. It actually kind of reminds me a little bit. Uh, I mentioned in the A segment that we're adapting a story from the author, Brianna Morgan, and she has this creature she's written a couple stories about called the Trick or Treater. Mm -hmm. And it has a, like a bear's head or bear's skull instead of a regular, like a regular sized head. And mm -hmm. I, I remember reading at the time thinking that is a horrible fucking image. I mean, it is something that's been with us since the dawn of, of the written word, because obviously you have creatures such as the Chimera. And the griffin, which were combinations of, of strange creatures, and obviously one of my favorites, which was the cockatrice, which were, were strange creatures that seemed to be an amalgamation of different animals in, a, in an unholy combination. Aswang was another one of those unholy flying monstrosities as well, isn't it? That's true, yeah. I mean, I know Bob used to mention the Aswang all the time. Speaking of which, hello, Bob. I don't know if you're listening. We haven't, we haven't heard from you. We hope you're doing okay. We know things were... Things were not great for a while there, but we hope, we hope you are, we hope things are stabilizing and improving. Transformation. This experience happened around approximately 1.20 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, 2018. I live in southwestern Washington state and had rented a vacation home in Oregon to accommodate mine and my sister's family. We had all arrived at the rental around 3 p.m. At about 7.30 p.m., my son began yelling for me. My one-year-old grandson had gotten into my case and had eaten one of my blood pressure pills. We panicked and called poison control and told us to call 911 as soon as possible. They sent an ambulance and took my grandson to the small hospital in the area. The staff there did what they could, but told us they were not equipped for the situation. My grandson needed to be transported to a children's hospital in Portland. The ambulance arrived to pick up my grandson around midnight, and his mother rode in back with him. My son and I went to the rental to collect diapers and clothes, and then started our drive to Portland around half past midnight. This is when we encountered something we'll never forget as long as we live. We had been on the road for an hour and found ourselves somewhere in the farmland between Bellevue and McMinnville. The entire ride down that long, deserted stretch of two-lane blacktop, I was racked with guilt for having packed my meds in a place where my grandson was able to get at them so easily. I was terrified for him and crying. My son was also upset, and although he was trying to hide it, I knew he blamed me. As we were driving, I noticed my son slightly drifting across the road and realised he was falling asleep, so I became hypervigilant about both the road and keeping him awake, making sure we didn't end up in a ditch. We were driving through the night at around 55 miles an hour, when in the distance, we both saw what at first looked like a deer running towards us on our side of the highway. Within seconds, when it was maybe 250 or 300 feet away, we realised that it wasn't a deer, 
but rather a golden horse. It drew closer and closer until it was about 150 feet away, at which point it leapt upwards and morphed into a giant owl right before our eyes. The wingspan stretched past our lane in the road. It had to be between 12 and 15 feet. It was enormous, godlike. As soon as the transformation took place, my son screamed and swerved to the left so as to avoid it. Just as he did this, the owl landed around 50 feet ahead of us, to our right, on the hard shoulder. It tucked its head and wings into its chest as if it were scared or trying to hide. As we drove past it, I got a good look out of my window, and with its head and wings tucked in, it still came up to the bottom of the Subaru's window, its body a little wider than the width of a beach ball. So about three and a half feet tall, and maybe 20 to 24 inches all the way around. This thing was mind-blowingly big. Now, as soon as this happened, it was almost as if a trance came over us. It affected us both in the same way. We both did not speak a word the entire rest of the drive at all until we got to the hospital. We both lost all feeling of being tired. It was like a calm alertness and awareness took over. I was no longer afraid that my son was going to fall asleep. The memory of the experience was crystal clear, but the curiosity, wonder or even awe did not hit us until driving back through the same area the next afternoon after my grandson was discharged. It's like we both suddenly said, what the heck was that thing we saw last night? And it all started pouring out from both of us. The exact same thing we saw. My son's wife was asking us questions about it and we were blurting out the same answers. It was mind-blowing. Till this day we talk about it and wonder, what did we witness that night? We both agree that this seemed to be some mythical creature or shapeshifter. We both agree that whatever it was, it was good and meant us no harm and may have been a guardian. Or maybe it was something that we witnessed by accident and maybe we weren't meant to see it. Either way, I feel extremely lucky and blessed to have seen proof with my own eyes that animal spirits or shapeshifters or magical creatures do exist. It makes me wonder about stories of fairies and mermaids and Pegasus, and Nessie may just be true. So apparently throughout legend, there are, his, there are legends of golden horses, and they uh, specifically in, let me just see if I can find the page here. So yeah, Japanese mythology and folklore. There is a belief similar to that of the Hunnic and Turkic Mongol worldview, which is that there is a world of three levels and one may travel from one world to the next via a golden horse. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I tend to think, again, this was not necessarily personal to them, but rather they just happened to be somewhere at the right time in the right place. But mm -hmm. I mean, who, who knows? What do you think? Well, I've never heard anything similar at all ever. I mean, obviously you'll hear occasionally of people encountering shapeshifters or witnessing a transformation, right? but not for it to change into three separate creatures. Cause obviously we go from deer to horse to owl. Yeah. I mean, unless it was always, a, it always was a horse and they just, you know, thought deer. Cause I mean, deer would be my first thought too. Mm. Well, true, true. Very, uh, especially on a darkened road late at night in a, you know, in an emotionally charged situation, your perception could be off and especially at that distance, you may perceive that you would expect to see a deer, not a horse. Yeah, that's it. I mean, deer are very cute, but also if you hit one mm. on, on the highway, that is very, very not going to end very, very well for you. 
And I, I remember we were driving through Washington state once and we pulled over because there was this absolutely fucked car by the side of the road. And there were some very shaken people standing next to it. And so mm. we pulled over, we asked what was going on and yeah, they were just a family out for a drive, you know, kids, grandma, mom, dad, and a deer had just sprung out in front of them. And they, it, they had a very small comp, like they, they had a compact car and it is a wonder they were not dead because mm. that deer was, was very dead. And that car was also very dead mm. and it was not a big deer, but just, they are heavy as hell. Yeah. It's not something that does, that happens too often here, but we do have, I mean, obviously where I live, we have plenty of stretcher roads, uh, plenty of roads, stre- oh, Bennett. We have plenty of stretches of road where there are deer warning signs for, for oh, quite okay. a while because we've got some big herds that have free range. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Mm. It's a big, big herd in the Peak District. We, uh, we stumbled across a small pocket of them uh, on our first day out after the original lockdown back in 2020, which seems like a million years ago now. Yes, um, whatever. And there was a, a group of six, six of them just stood in a little gathering of, of, of small trees just hiding, but obviously their massive antlers gave them away. Imagine how pissed they must have gotten because they had you know several months of just having everything to themselves, basically. Mm. And all of a yes. sudden, they thought, oh, good, the humans have finally killed each other off. We can, you know, start frolicking and screwing the way God intended. And then all of a sudden, nope, here they are. Yeah. It is an awe-inspiring sight. I've ever mentioned I was once getting a, a taxi from where I lived to Manchester Airport at around 4 a.m. And the taxi driver was regaling me with a story of sit, coming across this enormous stag, which is known as the, the king of the peak to the locals. Right. And often when you, you know, tall tales from a taxi driver is not an unusual or rare <laughs> subject matter. I think most people have, have been involved in a conversation like that. And he was telling us about the other week he was driving around the same time in the same area and he'd seen this enormous stag cross the road in front of him um, on, a, on a bend. So we talked about it. And then five minutes later, we came around this corner and it was just stood in the middle of the road. And it no. was the biggest thing I had ever seen in my life in the wild in the UK. It was massive. And it wow. was like 4 a.m. So it was like the begin- the dawn was beginning to crack. So you got the sun beginning to peak up over the peaks. You know, it was quite a it's quite a majestic sight and the, the sweat was coming off it, steaming off it, and it was just oh, you know, wow. snorting its nostrils. And it was just stood in the middle of the road, sort of going, Yeah. And you are what are you gonna do you're not gonna hit me oh it was just it was awe-inspiring it was incredible um i mean with its antlers it was probably about 10 foot tall Um, it was massive it's the biggest deer i've ever seen uh out there but you know i've seen some hefty ones you know one you know you should never get too close to deer um especially with antlers regardless because you know they can give you a a rather nasty gash if you if you get too good or even kill you in certain sad circumstances but um to have this conversation and then stumble across it is is a is a memory that will live with me for the rest of my life. It was amazing. Oh, I, I can imagine, and and that goes a long way towards you know what we were talking about. How you know the skeptic would write off the Lachusa stories as priming. You know, well, you, we primed you to to you know see spooky owl. So the fact that you then saw a spooky owl means oh, it's just because of the priming. But sometimes the universe just decides to have a chuckle at our expense and lines shit up and says no one will ever believe you. Like Bill Murray taking a bite of someone's sandwich. No one will ever believe you. 
<laughs> yes, as a man nearly killed by a herd of cows, I can testify that that's true. Yes, <laughs> still one of my favorite Paul Vestal stories. <laughs> yes, it's uh, not an experience I'd like to uh, go through again. Nope, fair. My my soul facing down nature experience that way comes from uh, when I was delivering DoorDash and, and skipped the dishes back in 2020, which also <laughs> feels like an eternity ago, because I would work the night shift more treed suburbs and quiet places. And we have a lot of deer in Victoria generally, mm. but one night I had to go deliver to this apartment block and there was a stag munching on leaves mm. right next to the door. <laughs> and I thought, what the fuck am I going to do? Cause I'm not going up to this thing. It's not going to react real well to me going, excuse me, sir. I'm trying to get past so I can bring this idiot their bubble tea. <laughs> and mm, what flavor? Mm. Yeah. Right. This I'll is mine now. That. <laughs> and your hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just soft underbelly. <laughs> and there was this old man watching me from one of the balconies. He goes, "Oh, that's a big one. You don't want to. You don't want to piss him off. He'll rip the shit out of you." Well, thanks, man. Thank you. Cool, 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 cool. Can you offer me any more words of encouragement? Perhaps start singing a dirge so that my spirit knows which way to go. You bastard. And <laughs> I ended up like the deer kind of finally saw saw me as I was watching it, and we were like circling each other clockwise. <laughs> you know, trying to, so I had to play crocodile Dundee just to get into this per, this house so I can give this person their 2 a.m. nutritional mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Took you a little while to get here, eh? Fuck you. Look outside, dickhead. Yeah, it'll, it'll be gone by that time. <laughs> Except for the steaming turd that I'm going to leave on his lawn. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is it for our owl episode. That is it for our owl stories. If you have an owl story or any kind of story you want to share with us, send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We would love to read it and possibly share it on either this show or Book of the Dead, our companion show. There are other ways also to get in touch, and we will tell you about those after this break. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 
273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks as always to Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, Sarah Kent, and Joseph Camo and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere fine podcasts live, and Joseph's show, In Search of Ghosts, which is available on YouTube. You'll find a link to both of those in this episode's show notes. Thanks also to you, my friend and co-host, the great Paul Bestel, that most paranormal of Johnny Carson's host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? At the moment this week, we are investigating a... Incredible UFO sighting with a first-hand witness that occurred in the village of Penturk in Wales. I spend 170 episodes not doing anything about Wales, and then I do two in a row. <laughs> so uh, that's how these 40 and themes sometimes fall. Um, and then I've got a couple of episodes coming up uh, talking about mysterious mists that precede paranormal encounters, including some scary ghost ships and killer sea creature stories, which is one of my favorites from the Annals of Fate magazine, uh, Alien Abduction, and then I've got uh, a chock full special coming up for my 175th episode with the Scottish paranormal researcher, Malcolm Robinson. Speaking of Wales, actually, the new Luke lore is about Welsh flood myths, so there's another little funny coincidence mm. for you. <laughs> and where can everyone find you online? You can search for us by looking for Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms, podcast applications, and also on YouTube. Yes, you're, I'm deeply jealous of your YouTube success. We are, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to re- rewrite the ship of the Ghost Story Guys YouTube. Yes, that and, 13 uh, pounds a month changed my life. I bet. You can buy some more scalp wax. It's looking very shiny. <laughs> uh, I just use moisturizer. It's nothing special. <laughs> so modest. Body so shop, smooth. The best. I'm more of a lush man myself. <laughs> Yeah, you strike me as a bath bomb kind of buddy. Sometimes you just got to pamper yourself, Paul. <laughs> I have a Jaws bath bomb I have yet to use, by the way. Does, what does it do? It's, it's the shark, and apparently it bleeds when you put it in there. I bought it at a craft fair the other month. I've yet to use it, but it is phenomenal. So I'll have to take a picture of it and send it to you. It was amazing. I had to buy yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I must see this. I, I, don't, I don't use it. It looks amazing. That's the problem with buying that stuff. I, I remember one time when Nick and I first got together, I, cause I will sometimes buy her like selections of bath bombs so she can just chill out. But I, I made the mistake of buying one that had rose petals in it. Mm. Looks great. The cleanup is a fucking hell. <laughs> Same thing with anything glitter. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Glitter was sent here by Satan. Yes, Absolutely. There you are. You see, we've got a, uh, a new offshoot to dive into there as uh, dealing with our metrosexuality. <laughs> That's right. Bath bombs and shit with Brennan Paul. <laughs> the bath bomb buddies. There we go. Mm, not sure if I like that. 
We'll workshop that. We'll workshop that and get back to you guys. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can also find my podcast, Largely the Truth, with Brennan Store, wherever fine podcasts live. And um, I actually took, I don't have an episode this week, but I'm going to have, I've got several folks lined up, although I'm not going to say who just in case it all falls through, but uh, a couple of guests who I, I was not expecting and I'm very much looking forward to. One who I, I randomly found on Twitter, uh, it's an author, and it turns out they grew up 45 minutes from Revelstoke and I did not know this. So funny how things work out sometimes. But uh, as I said, we'll, we'll wait till those interviews actually land before I, uh, before I give away the names, but you can find that at largelythetruth.com or everywhere fine podcasts live. And again, that's largely the truth with Brendan store. That's a non paranormal chat show. Oh, and also there is a new Luke lore website. So if you, if you want to know more about folklore, you don't want to have to do the research yourself. Luke does a ton of research for each of his shows, even though they're only 15, 20 minutes, a lot of work goes into them and we are slowly getting all the transcripts for those episodes online. So you'll be able to just go and find that information. You know, you, maybe you don't want to listen to a whole episode to get it. You'll be able to find it all at lukelore.com. That's up right now, but that will be expanding over time. All right. And as we said at the top of the show, if you want to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Not only do you get an ad free feed, but at $5 and up, you get a ton of bonus shows. You get weekly episodes of book of the dead and host adventures. You also get monthly episodes of me and Paul, bi-monthly episodes usually of The Sunken Library. I just dropped an hour and 12 minute long episode of that where I'm talking to Glenn Warren, host of the Seasons Eatings podcast. There are also physical rewards, digital downloads. I'm in the process of organizing the monthly live show again after a long fallow period. So there's all kinds of cool shit you can get. And again, that's at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And if you're a patron at $20 and above, Ordinarily, right now you would be getting the Ghost Force shoutout, but because daylight savings time has completely fucked <laughs> my schedule, um, I'm an hour ahead of Paul right now. You know, sort of an hour ahead of where I would usually be. So we're gonna have to do that next episode, uh, just because we got to wrap up the recording so I can get the files to the good folks at Pristine Podcasts. But uh, yes, Ghost Force folks, you will get your shoutout on the next episode. I promise. As far as news goes, um, I know our episode of the TV trivia podcast with Brian Sheehan uh, will probably be out, if not by the time this episode airs, very soon after. You can find that everywhere fine podcasts live. Paul and I had a blast doing <laughs> trivia for the first Avengers movie. Uh, I haven't heard the episode yet, but I'm sure it's going to be good because we, again, we had a ton of fun with Brian. And if you're a patron of his, you get to hear additional questions, <laughs> which... It was a challenge because, uh, Brian is a teacher and his students listen to his show. And so I was informed this is, I was not allowed to, to go blue. So if you want to hear the vast gaps where I am trying to think of words that don't start with F and end with Uck, <laughs> listen to us on the TV trivia podcast with Brian Sheehan, because there are some mental gymnastics happening in those silences and not just trivia related ones. Brennan Stoll, the Sunday school years. I went to Sunday school, but it didn't take. Yeah, I wasn't allowed. I mean, your middle name is Damien. There's only so much they can do. All right. If you want to get in touch, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Again, we love hearing from you. We love your feedback. Um, yeah, we, we read everything we get, although we may not respond to everything. That's just a volume issue. But we, I do try to respond as much as possible. Again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And if you don't feel like typing, 
you can always call the ghost line. Thanks to Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one 888 6920 You can leave your comment or story as one or a series of voicemails. Or if you don't have access to the ghost line, because I believe it's only accessible in North America, you can always just record a message using the voice app on your phone and email it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com with the subject heading ghost line. And again, we'll play that in the show where possible. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys. We're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys, and we're on Reddit as r slash Ghost Story Guys podcast. I don't think there's any other news coming up. Uh, do you have any spots coming up that uh, need to be advertised? Uh, no, no. I've been keep, keeping my powder dry for the time being, but yeah, because I've had to shift a couple of interviews later down the line, so I'm just moving. I'm trying to get now to a balance of two shows a week, no more. We'll see how sense. long that lasts. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. Saying that, I might have three next week. So that's me. There we go. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website, ghoststoryguys.com. There you can find links to our T Public and Redbubble stores. And if you're a patron, you actually get access to an exclusive patron only Red, uh, pardon me, T Public coupon. I believe it's 20% off. And again, that's exclusive to our patrons. It changes every couple months. But if you don't want to do that, you can just pick up regular stuff at ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the links to Tee Public, And if you do buy something, send us a picture of you wearing it. We'll post it on our socials. Or if you just want to send us a picture of the shirts when they get there, that's cool too. Whatever you like. We love, we love seeing you guys wearing our gear. If you can, rate and review the show and tell your friends about it. That helps us grow more than anything, really. Word of mouth is the best way that a show can expand. And over the course of this year, we would love to expand. So tell your friends, tell your family. And, uh, yeah, rating wouldn't hurt either. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you stream your music. Again, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. Well, I was just double checking the other day because I thought I must be getting close to half a million now, and uh, and then I checked and it was five hundred seventy-eight thousand. <laughs> Fucking it, that's amazing. <laughs> I got married in Cornwall. Suddenly, this is all making a lot of sense. Mmm. Oh well, the, the owl man allowed it. Man, the night before my wedding, if ever there was a time when owl man was going to snatch a guy, <laughs> I mean, my my cat will stand in front of a sheer curtain and start meowing because she thinks that the door is blocked. When she, all she has to do is walk forward and the thing will part, but, and she's done it a dozen times, but nope, this is a, this is a mystery for the ages. Mm. Yes. Like Shackleton's quest.
Yes, but well, I mean, it ends about as well, I guess. <laughs> now imagining Shackleton just like pawing at my door, trying to let me <laughs> get me to let him inside. How <laughs> can I save everybody? Oh, I'll just play with this string. <laughs> Tonight wow. on Ghost Talk. Ghost Talk, Ghost Talk, Ghost Talk. <laughs> Don't give me any more ideas for more shows. Ghost Talk. Chunky chat. About the, <laughs> oh, no. about the paranormal. Tonight on Ghost Talk. Have you woken up and found ectoplasm in your bed? <laughs> well, there's a pill for that, apparently. <laughs> i tell you what was interesting as well, strangely enough, going back to Art Bell. He was, there was a couple of shows from 97 where people were talking about seeing the Hat Man or the Shadow Man. Oh, interesting. And I didn't think people were talking about that in the 90s, but they were. Yeah. They were ringing him up and telling him that they'd seen him. One guy in Canada said it blew his telly up. I told you when I was on, when I was on Coast to Coast, George got like basic details of my book wrong in the intro and I had to correct him. Mm. This young man has written a book about the hauntings of Victoria, BC. Nope. <laughs> nope. Keep going. I want to see that slideshow. Bigfoot or Italian. We're just... <laughs> Oh, there we go. When we finally do that live show, you and I will have, well, that'll be the game we play. We'll show like, is this Bigfoot, like possible Bigfoot sighting? Or is this an Italian man with no shirt on? Is this an Italian man at the swimming baths? (laughs) Oh, I'm filing that away. Laro, don't steal that idea. Um, uh, I've been listening for years, Dad, and I, I love being scared by your scary stories. They're amazing. And uh, I want to tell you this story about what happened to me when I went to my local Burger King. Yeah, when I was entertaining my friend's kids the other day, I was doing my Lloyd Grossman impression. Lloyd Grossman, <laughs> the food critic, was talking about how he wasn't eating his dinner. And it was just the worst behavior from a little boy. It was awful. That seems like a reward more than a punishment. (laughs) Well, it did. It it, it made him eat some more food. So, yeah. Because otherwise, he'd be a master chef. (laughs) We're off to see the specials this week. The (laughs) great. I hope they sing Ghost Town. I love that one. (laughs) It's my favorite. My favorite band since Slade split up. Yeah, Laro, again, please don't judge us too harshly. <laughs> so I get up, buck-ass naked, ready to hurl my considerable bulk at this person and scar them for life, you know, mentally, if not physically. And it's just Nick getting ready for work. And I just, yeah, I was so certain she was laying next to me, just like with you and Julie. But no, I am defending my house from my wife. Very stoked for later. I've got a ticket uh, to see a 10 o'clock screening of the new Ty West horror movie. So oh, is it X that. or whatever it's called? Yeah, yeah. It's got that really washed out Texas Chainsaw Massacre look about it. I mean, it's probably going to be a better Texas Chainsaw movie than that Texas Chainsaw movie. 